Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Hey, all right, I got a reaction. That's what I was looking for. Some of you were like, oh my gosh, I haven't done any of my shopping. What's going on here? Uh, no, this, my name is Nathan Harris, and I'm one of the pastors here at East Point. It's my pleasure to be with you this morning. And we are continuing our uh, message series, Love, Sex, Kids, and Life. And this morning, we're going to talk about how to survive being single. How to survive being single. Now, some of you are beginning to tune out. You're starting to think, okay, I got to plan a party for the Seahawk game coming up on Thursday night, and um, we're doing something tomorrow. But listen, I need you to do me a favor. Don't tune out. All right? Don't tune out to this. Just because you're married doesn't mean this doesn't have anything to say to you. The the principles we're going to talk about this morning have a broad range of application. Now, I am going to focus specifically on single people this morning but you can take these principles and apply them over a varied range of your own life, okay? So that's the first thing. Second thing, you know what? You are called to be a conduit of God's grace and his love to the people around you. That means for all of us who have single people, whether family members, friends, neighbors, coworkers, whoever, who are in our world, we have the opportunity to dispense God's grace to them. And so take what you hear this morning and pass it on, all right? All right. Well, just a little bit about me. I was single for way longer than I ever wanted to be. When I was in high school, I remember sitting down in a class and I was thinking, man, you know what? I think I'm going to be married by the time I'm 22, 23, and then I'm going to have kids a couple of years after that. Life turned out a little bit differently for me. I didn't get married until I was almost 30, And then I didn't have kids until I was 34. And that whole time between my planning of when I would get married, well, not the whole time, but a lot of it, between when I was planning when I would get married and then when I actually did, I spent a lot of time in angst and just sadness and frustration because, man, I'm single. I don't want to be single. And there was was pain inside. Anybody here who has experienced that knows exactly what I'm talking about. You long for that relationship. You want this to happen. And then you make some decisions that are probably based in fear and don't usually turn out to well. Like one time for me, I had been seeing this girl for about three weeks, a nice young lady, and uh, we had kind of hit it off a little bit. We were hanging out. And one evening as we were sitting together, I just, again, this is three weeks into the relationship, I said, so... Uh, where do you see our relationship going? You know, I was hearing wedding bells in the background and she didn't pause. I had had a whole scenario picked out in my head as to what was going to happen, of what life would be like. She didn't pause to think. She didn't, we didn't have a three-hour conversation after I asked that question where we just talked heart to heart and about wedding plans and all kinds of stuff. No, no, no. What she did was she immediately laughed and I was crushed. I think I went home and ate an entire gallon of mint chocolate chip ice cream and listened to Celine Dion songs all night. Not really, but I wanted to. I know what it's like to feel that want and, and, and maybe sometimes making some decisions based on the want and on the fear that comes from that want. Fears like... Am I going to be single forever? 
Maybe another fear is, man, God is punishing me. I want to be in a relationship, and I'm not, and God is using this to punish me. I don't measure up somehow. And then other fears that lead to bad decisions, like basing a relationship purely, not, you know, what physical attraction is great, it's important, all of that, but when you base a relationship only on physical attraction, forgetting everything else that's going on, that isn't too good. Now, I spent a lot of time in that angst mode. Man, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? And I didn't have, personally have a lot of confidence. Maybe you're different from me. Maybe for you, you exude confidence. And what's the group, blue suede or something? I've got, I'm hooked on a feeling, high on believing that you're in love with me, whether you know it or not. Okay? Some, maybe you have that kind of confidence, but whether you have that confidence or whether you're like me and you lack the confidence, let me tell you something. There is a better way to live your life. A much better way to live. And it's based in this. What God has done for us is the starting point of what he wants to do through us. What God does for us initiates what God does through us. Here's what I mean by that. If you are a Christ follower and you are sitting in this room right now, you have experienced the love of God. You have experienced God pouring his love. As, as in 1 John it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that he has called us children of God and that is exactly what we are. You have experienced that. You know what it is for God to make you his child despite your background, despite your poor decisions in the past and everything else that has gone on. But God doesn't give us his love just so that we can sit back and we can feel good about ourselves. He makes us his kids. He pours his love on us so that we can join him in unwinding the curses that are in this world, in making things the way that they're supposed to be. We get to join him in doing that. That's why God gives us what he gives us. Yes, because he loves us. Yes, he gives you that because he loves you. And, and, and that is great. That is awesome. But he doesn't want to stay there. He wants you to go out and to give it away and to join him in what he's doing. Understanding this is going to require a different way of living. An entire reorientation of your life. It's going to permeate every aspect of who you are, what you do. There's a passage in the book of Philippians that helps us get to this understanding. It's found in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 4 through 9. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me there. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen for you to read. But Philippians 4 verses four through nine says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, 
present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The Philippian church was a church that, was, that knew what it was to feel angst, that knew what it was to feel pressure and fear and all of that. You see, the people that Paul is writing this letter to, they were experiencing persecution. Because, as Paul said at the very beginning of this letter, they were partnering with him in the gospel. What does that mean? What does it mean that the Philippians were partnering with God in the gospel? Here's what it means. For Paul, the gospel, yes, it includes Jesus loves you, he died for you, and he wants you to be with him forever. That is absolutely true. It includes that. But the gospel is something far bigger than just that. The gospel is the fact that God is the real ruler of the entire cosmos, God rules it, and God, secondly, has fulfilled his promises to unwind the curses, to unwind all of the bad stuff. He is setting the world right. The, the term that the New Testament uses for this is new creation. God is once again breathing life into the world and into people and making them whole. And the third part of this is that he has done this through Jesus. God has accomplished what he has accomplished through Jesus, the, the crucified and risen Messiah. We sang that song, that third song this morning. It starts out with the crucifixion and it goes to how Jesus is glorified. Paul moves on in the book of Philippians and in chapter two, he uses this interesting phrase. He says that God has exalted Jesus because Jesus was was uh, obedient to the point of death on the cross. And now, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There are a couple of things here that are radically different for Paul and Christians here in this passage and in Philippians from the Roman world that the Philippians lived in. You see, for the, for the Roman world that the Philippians lived in, the, the true ruler of the world was Caesar. And at the name of Caesar, every knee bows. Paul took that out of the Roman context and said, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't understand. Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is. And the Philippians joined with Paul in this message. God is making all things new. There is nothing that is not being touched by this. And by the time we get to this passage in Philippians 4, Paul is lining out for the Philippians a general way of living based on the reality of this gospel, of, that this is absolute truth stuff. 
that God really has accomplished what God said he would. And there's a few things that I want us to pull out of this that we can pull out this morning and that we can look at. Here's the first one. Number one, celebrate God and what he has accomplished through Jesus. Regardless of your marital status, if you are single, if you are married, if you're somewhere in between, celebrate God and what he has accomplished through Jesus. Now, you got to understand that in the ancient world, religion took on a much different flavor than it does today. For you and I in our modern Western culture, religion is primarily something that is between us and our God. It's expected to stay private, okay? For them back then, religion was something that you ate, you lived, you breathed. You went to the marketplace and you saw meat that was sacrificed to a deity, to a God, And you ate it to say that you were in agreement with this religion. You played games, Olympic-style games, celebrating your God, your city, your people. Okay? So their entire lives were wrapped up in what it was they believed. It wasn't just a faith for them. This was a way of living. And Paul comes to the Philippians and he says, Rejoice in the Lord! Lots of times when we hear rejoice, we think of what? Happy. We're being happy. There's lots of good stuff to be happy about. And that's in there for sure. But more than that, Paul is talking about the everyday stuff. Celebrate God. Live your life for God. Celebrating the resurrection. We are living, you guys, in the reality of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And we're told to celebrate that in everyday circumstances. Now, specifically for anybody here who is single, there are, I want to point out a couple of ways that, the, that the, this can be lived out. First of all, uh, who you choose to get into a relationship is very important. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He's talking to a church that is rather messed up. And uh, he, he says to them, listen, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That what that means for their world and their language is that God lives amongst them, he lives in them, and he demonstrates himself to the world through them. Okay? So they are the place where the world actually gets to encounter the living God. It's pretty cool stuff, right? Well, there's a problem. There's a particular way you need to live that is in light or in light of this reality. And so Paul tells them, he says, so don't be yoked. That is, don't get romantically involved with unbelievers. Why? Because God hates unbelievers? No! If he did, none of us would be in here. God loves unbelievers. The New Testament is clear. You and I, as, as if, if you are a Christian sitting in this room, you need to be in contact with unbelievers. I do too. Because it's through us that the gospel is spread, that God's love is spread. What Paul is talking about here is the union, that bond between a husband and a wife where the, where the values of one influences the values of others. 
Paul says, look, when you get an unbeliever and a believer together, the values are different. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. I remember one time I tried to play a joke on my brother. He loves coffee. And he loves to have cream in his coffee. And I thought it would be hilarious, and I still think it would have been hilarious had this worked out. But uh, I decided to grab a whole bunch of lemon juice. And I poured a lot of lemon juice into his coffee. Well, what I didn't know at the time was that when you put lemon juice and, and milk products together, it curdles the milk product. So you can see a difference. You can see that there's something not quite right here with this cup of coffee. Unfortunately, he noticed it before he swallowed it. So darn it. Oh, well. Um, <clears throat> love you, man. Anyway, but that's what it's like when believers and unbelievers get together. There's a curdling. One is going to take over of the other. And lots of times what happens is that the believer loses their way. And Paul says this is way too important to do that. There's a much bigger picture going on here. So that's the first application of this. Don't get bound up. If you're a believer, don't get bound up with somebody who's not a believer. The second part of this application of celebration has to do with sex. I got to admit, I like sex. I'm married, I can. I can like it. Um, but here's the deal. Our culture worships at the altar of sex. If you don't believe me, just walk in the Valley Mall. See the posters that are up on the wall. Every time I walk by the Victoria's Secret store with the pictures there, I try to turn the other way only to see another store with other half-naked people on it. Ah! <laughs> Our culture spends near $50 billion a year on pornography. That's... That's not even real sex. That's just pictures. People are told that we're, ha we're supposed to have a particular kind of a body. I'm going for the pregnant look. <laughs> but if you don't have a particular kind of a body, you can't be loved. If you don't dress a particular way, you can't be loved. And so our, our culture worships at the altar of sex. We either use it to fulfill something in us that's missing or we use it to get something else. That is not the way to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. You guys, God is calling us to live a different way. Now listen, I don't want anybody here to think that, that, that East Point or me or anybody else here thinks sex is bad because it's not. God created it. In the words of our senior pastor, Kurt Bubna, Adam and Eve did not come stumbling all flushed out of their grass hut one day and say, God, guess what we discovered? Okay? God created it. He wants us to enjoy it, but he wants us to enjoy it within the bounds that glorify him. So guess what? Single people and married people. Your sexuality is an expression 
of worship to God. Whether you are having it in a faithful relationship with your spouse, you have been married, or whether you are abstaining from it as a single person, you are worshiping God through the way you engage in sex. I told you this was going to affect every area of your life. Our culture focuses on on sex, on the immediate gratification, but God calls us to something different. He calls us to celebrate Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection, and all that they mean through every action, word, and relationship that we engage in. Why? Because what he has done for us initiates what he wants to do through us. Celebrate God and what he has accomplished through Jesus. Number two, surrender your fears to God and focus on his kingdom. This one is hard. I'm just being perfectly honest, this is hard. Surrender your fears, whether you're married or not, surrender your fears to God and focus on his kingdom. Most of us who want to enter into a romantic relationship uh, have some fears about it. We've talked about that already. I remember that one of my fears, honestly, here's a little view into my mind. Uh, I was sure, I was a Christian, but I was sure that the apocalypse would happen and Jesus would come back before I got to have sex. And that bummed me out. It's like, man, stink. But one of Jesus' first followers, a guy named Peter, wrote in the New Testament, in, in the book of First Peter, he said this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Paul echoes this sentiment in, in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In order to be able to do this, we have to be rooted in the understanding and the idea that, guess what? God really is good. He's not out to get you. He's not out to get me. Every good thing that we get in life is ultimately from him. That is the perspective we have to be marinating in. We have to be bathed in. We have to think about all of the time. And when we do that, we can go and we can give our anxiety to God. God, here this is. I don't know what to do about it. And frankly, there's nothing I can do about it. I need you to intervene. I need you to do something here. And listen, there is no concern that is so small that God won't show up. There's nothing so insignificant that he doesn't care about it. If you're single and you're worried and anxious about the when and the who of your future, if you're worried that you're going to be single forever or maybe even that God is out to get you, Take your anxiety to him because he cares for you. 
Present your requests to God with thankfulness. You guys, this is part of celebrating God and what he has done. Rather than trying to wrestle things into our own idea of what it needs to be, we celebrate God by letting God be God. It's not easy, and it's certainly not the way that the world does things. The world tells you, go out and get it. Step on whoever, whatever you need to in order to grab what you need or you want. If instead we stand back, we humble ourselves and we say, God, you are God and I am not, then the twists and the turns, even those aches in our hearts, rather than being obstacles to be overcome, will become adventures through which we get to see God. We get to see how he moves, what he does. And we get to experience him. And when we do this, then the next step is that we're able to join God in what he's doing. That's the second point of this point number two here. We need to focus on God's kingdom. First, we got to understand that he does care for us and we can give him everything. And then once we're able to do that, we can join God in what he's doing. This is what Paul said in Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul was telling the Philippian church to focus on God's kingdom and the actions and thoughts that are part of his kingdom instead of dwelling on, on their circumstances. Look, it's, this isn't a Pollyanna, bury your head in the sand kind of a thing and just pretend everything's okay. This is a genuine recognition. Stuff is not the way it needs to be, but guess what? I know you care about it, God, and I'm giving it to you, and I'm instead gonna follow you despite what this looks like. I have had to learn to serve God rather than my dreams. Nine months ago, I came to a crisis point where I had to pick. Am I going to stick with my dream and my fear and my worry, or am I going to lay that at the feet of Jesus, and am I going to follow him because he is the Lord of the universe and there is no other? We need to trust God with our worries and our fears and turn our attention to focusing on what he's doing. Why? Because what he does for us is intended to launch what he does through us. Last thing here, number three. Pursue God's kingdom in community. Whether you're married or you're single or somewhere in between, pursue God's kingdom in community. Here's what Paul says. Last thing he says in this passage Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Plain and simple, he is calling them to discipleship. A disciple is somebody who hears the teacher, incorporates their lessons into their lives, and then lives them out. And Paul is telling the Philippian church to do exactly that. But he tells them to do that in, this, in the context of community. Single people, get connected with somebody who's further along in their faith than you are. Learn from them. Not to be like them, but so that you can be more like Jesus. 
pursue this connection, this discipleship in community. Why? Because what God has done for us is intended to launch what he does through us. Now, I can't guarantee that if you're single, single that you're going to get married. I, I can't do that. I have no crystal ball, no tea leaves, nothing like that. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen for you. I can't stand here and tell you that if you do these things that God is going to say, well, now that you've finally done what I want you to do, now I'm going to give you this. He could, but I, I don't know that he will. I can't tell you that by keeping these things in mind that you'll never make a fool of yourself in front of a future spouse like I did at my, my prom that was awesome. Spit rice all over myself. Totally rad. <clears throat> anyway, but what I can tell you is that if you keep in mind the fact that God has a big story going on and that he wants us to be part of it, you'll find yourself in an adventure that goes way beyond anything you can possibly imagine. And like I said, those twists and turns in your life will not be obstacles. They will be adventures. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Jesus spoke these words to people who didn't know where their next meal was gonna come from. They didn't know where their clothing was gonna come from. But his message to them is the same message to us. God knows what we need. Spend time chasing God and he'll take care of the details. You may not have everything you want, but you'll get everything you need. What God has done for us launches what he does through us. My personal celebration of Jesus grew. I eventually got to the point when I was single when I could say, you know what, God, I know that there's more that you want to do, and so my singleness isn't a punishment it's an opportunity. My wife and I, many of you know this story, but my wife and I spent time with infertility. We couldn't have a baby on our own. And when we were finally able to get beyond our own plans about how to make things happen, God was able to do things through us that he wouldn't have otherwise been able to do. And now I have a four-year-old son who absolutely adores me. I don't know why, but he does. And I love him too. So celebrate Jesus as Lord with your whole life. Surrender your fears to God while focusing on his kingdom, knowing that he cares and pursue God in community. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much that you are good. That genuinely every good thing, every good and perfect gift does indeed come from you. That there is nothing so, so big, there's nothing so small that you don't care, that you can't handle, that you don't want to intervene. And so, God, for anybody here who is single and going through fear right now about what the future holds, about what may or may not come to be, I pray that you would be with them, that you would calm their fears, that you would hold them up, that they would experience your love and your presence with them, in them, and through them. 
Lord, for anybody here who has made mistakes in relationships, I pray, God, that you would show them your grace and your mercy. Let them see, Father, that you are not against them, but that you are for them. And that there's no mistake so big that they can't be near to you. God, be with every single person in this room. Be with all of us, but especially, God, the single people. If you're here today and you have not yet begun your life as a Christ follower, I'm going to say a very short prayer. Just make it your own. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to come forward. Just make it yours. If you want to join in what God is doing. Father, I want to be part of your family. I want to be one of your kids. So I give to you my past, I give you my present, and I give you my future. And I ask you to take it and to shape it all. It's all yours. Every mistake, every victory, it all belongs to you. Make me your kid and let me join with you in what you're doing. God, for anybody who prayed that prayer this morning, visit with them now, I pray. Fill them with your spirit. Help them to live your way, I pray, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, would you stand with me as we sing this last song and we take our offering and then uh, I'll be up to, to wrap us up. Hey, if you became a Christ follower for the first time today, we have a new believer packet at all of our exits we'd like for you to have. It's got a new believer's Bible in there and some information for you to get started on your walk. And, uh, you know, if you want to take communion today, we've got it on both sides of the auditorium. And if you need prayer for anything, come this way. Don't go that way. We'll have a prayer team up front. Well, thanks for being here. Have a safe and wonderful Labor Day, and we'll see you next week.